Chapter 26 of Monica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Don Sutton. Monica by Evelyn Everett Green. Monica. Lord Haddon was carried upstairs by Tom's direction and put to bed at once, but it was a very long time before he recovered consciousness, and the doctor's face was grave when he rejoined Monica and Beatrice an hour later. Afterwards they learned that he had reached the lifeboat station only to find the boat out in another direction, that he had lost his way in the darkness and had been riding for hours over trackless moors, wet through by driving storms of rain, obliged often to halt, despite the cold and wet, to wait for passing gleams of moonlight to show him his way, and this after a long day's shooting and a long fast. He had reached the castle at last, utterly worn out and exhausted only to hear the terrible news of the death of his best friend. The strain had been too much, and he had given way. He awoke to consciousness only in a high state of fever, with pain in every joint, and Beatrice, in answer to Tom's question, admitted that her brother had had a sharp attack of rheumatic fever some three years before and had always been rather susceptible to cold and damp ever since. Tom looked gravely at Monica. I was afraid he was in for something of that kind. Poor boy, she said again very gently. I am so sorry. You will stay with us, Tom? It will be a comfort to have you. Of course I will stay, he answered, in his abruptest fashion. I shall sit up with Haddon tonight. You two must go to bed at once. I insist upon it. Come, Beatrice, said Monica, holding out her hand. We must obey orders, you see. As they went together up the broad staircase, Beatrice said with a little sob, I cannot bear to think of our giving you all this trouble just now. But Monica stopped her by a kiss. Have you not learned by this time, Beatrice, that the greatest help in bearing our own sorrows is to help others with their burdens? I am grieved for you, dear, that this other trouble should have come, but Tom is very clever, and we will all nurse him back to health again. Good night, dearest. You must try to sleep, that you may be strong tomorrow. The next day, Lord Haddon was very ill, dangerously ill. The fever ran very high. Other unfavorable symptoms had showed themselves. Tom's face was grave and absorbed, and Raymond, who came over at his brother's request, looked even more anxious. Yet possibly this alarming illness of a guest beneath her roof was the very best thing that could have happened, 
as far as Monica herself was concerned. Before his illness, Beatrice and her brother must have left Trevlin at once. It was probable that Monica would have elected to remain there entirely alone during the early days of her widowhood, alone in her own desolation, more heartbreaking to witness than any wild abandonment of grief, alone without even those last melancholy offices to perform, without even the solemn pageantry of a funeral to give some little occupation to the mind, or to bring home in its own incontrovertible way the fact that a loved being has passed away from the world forever. Randolph had, as it were, vanished from this life almost as if spirited away. There was nothing to be done, no obsequies to be performed. For just a few days a faint glimmer of hope existed in some minds that a passing vessel might have picked him up, that a telegram announcing his safety might yet arrive. But at the end of a week, every spark of such hope had died out, and Monica, who had never from the first allowed herself to be so buoyed up, put on her heavy widow's weeds with the steady, unflinching calmness that had characterized her throughout. She devoted herself to the task of nursing Lord Haddon, in which task she showed untiring care and skill. All agreed that it was best for her to have her thoughts and attention occupied in some quiet labor of love like this, and certainly her skill at this time was such as to render her services almost invaluable to the patient. Haddon lay for weeks in a very critical state, racked with pain and burning with fever. Without being always delirious, he was not in any way master of himself, and no one could soothe or quiet or compose him during these long, weary days, except Monica. She seemed to possess a power that acted upon him like a charm. He might not always know her. Very often he did not appear to recognize her, but he always felt her influence. At her bidding he would cease the restless tossing and muttering that exhausted his strength and gave him much needless pain. He would take from her hand food that no one else could persuade him to touch. She could often soothe him to sleep simply by the sound of her voice or the touch of her hand upon his burning brow. If he pulls through, it will be your doing, Tom sometimes said to her. And Monica felt that she could not do enough for the youth, who had suffered all this in carrying out her husband's last command, and who had succumbed when his task was done. In hearing of the fate that had befallen his friend, a curious bond seemed established between those two, the power of which he felt with a throb of keen joy, almost akin to pain, when at last the fever was subdued, and he began to know in a feeble, uncertain sort of fashion what it was that had happened, and how life had been going with him during the past weeks. 
It was of Monica he asked the account of that terrible night, and from her lips he learned the story to which none else had dared to allude in her presence. It was he who talked to her of Randolph, recalled incidents of the past, talked of their boyish days and the escapades they had indulged together, passing on to the increase of mutual understanding and affection that had bound them together as manhood advanced. Nobody else talked to her like this. Had never could have done so, had not weakness and illness brought them into such close communion one with another. His feelings towards Monica were those of simple adoration. He worshipped the very ground she trod on. He often felt that to die with her hand upon his head, her eyes looking gently and kindly into his, was all and more than he could wish. His intense loving devotion gave him a sort of insight into her true nature and he knew by instinct that he did not hurt her when he talked to her of him who was gone. Perhaps from no other lips could Monica have borne that name to be spoken just then, but Haddon in his hours of wandering had talked so much of Randolph that she had grown used to him speak of the husband she had loved and lost, and she knew by the way in which he had betrayed himself then how deeply and truly he loved him. When the fever had gone, and the patient lay white and weak, hardly able to move or speak, yet with a mind cleared from the haunting shadows of delirium, eager to know the history of all that had passed, it had not seemed very hard then, in answer to the wistful look in the big gray eyes, and the whispered words from the pale lips, to tell him all the truth, and the ice once broken thus, there had been no effort to talk of Randolph afterwards, and to let Haddon talk of him too. This outlet did her good. She was not a woman to whom talking was a necessity, yet it was better for her to speak sometimes of the sorrow that was weighing upon her crushed spirit, and it was far, far easier to do this to a listener like Haddon, who, from his weakness and frustration, could rise to no great heights of sympathy, could offer no attempt at consolation, could only look at her with wistful earnestness and murmur a broken word from time to time, than it would have been to those who would have met her with a burst of tears, or with those quiet caresses and marks of sympathy that must surely have broken down her hardly won composure and calm. So this illness of Haddon's had really been a boon to her, and perhaps to others as well. But for a few weeks, Monica's life seemed passed in a sort of dream, and she was able to notice but little that passed around her. She was wrapped in a strange trance. She lived in the past with her husband, who sometimes hardly seemed to have left her. Only when ministering to the needs of the young girl did she arouse herself from her waking dream, and even then it sometimes seemed as if the dream were the reality, and the reality a dream. Tom was a great deal at traveling just now, 
For a long time, Haddon's condition was so exceedingly critical that his presence was almost a necessity, and when the patient gradually became convalescent, Monica needed his help in getting through the business formalities that began to crowd upon her when all hopes of Randolph's rescue became a thing of the past. Monica was happy, at least in this. There was no need for her to leave her old home, no new earl to claim Trevelyn, and banish her from the place she loved best in the world. The Trevelyns were a dying race, as it seemed. Randolph and Monica were the last of their name, and the entail expired with him. Trevelyn was hers, as well as all her husband's property. She was a rich woman, but in the first instance it was difficult to understand the position, and she naturally turned in her perplexity to Tom Pendrell, who was a thorough man of business, shrewd and hard-headed, and who, from his long acquaintance and connection with Trevlin, understood more about the estate than anybody else she could have selected. He was very good to her, as she always said. He put himself entirely at her disposal and played the part of a kind and wise brother. His dry, matter-of-fact manner of dealing with transfer of property and such-like matters was in itself a comfort. She was never afraid of talking things over with him. He kept sentiment studiously and entirely in the background. Although she knew perfectly that his sympathy for her was very great, he never obtruded it upon her in the least. It was offered and accepted in perfect silence on both sides. Mrs. Pendrell, too, was a great deal at Trevlin. She yearned over Monica in the days of her early widowhood, and she had grown very fond of Beatrice and her brother. Haddon wanted so very much care and nursing that Mrs. Pendrell's presence in the house was often a help to all. Whilst Monica was in the sick room, she and Beatrice spent many long hours together. A strange intimacy of thought sprang up between those two who were so far from each other in age and position. Haddon, too, was fond of the gentle-faced old lady and he loved sometimes to get her all to herself and make her talk to him of Monica. His illness had left its traces upon the Earl. He had, despite his five-and-twenty years, seemed but a lad all this while, but when he left his bed it was curious to see how much of boyishness had passed out of his face, how much quiet, thoughtful manliness had taken its place. Nobody quite knew how or why this change had been so marked. Perhaps the shock of his friend's death had had something to do with it. Perhaps the danger he had himself been in. Very near indeed to the gates of death had the young man stood. He had almost trodden the shadowy valley, even though his steps had been retraced to the land of the living. Perhaps it was this knowledge that made him pass it were in one bound from boyhood to manhood. 
Or was there some other cause at work? His face wore a look of curious purpose and resolution, oddly combined with a sort of mute, determined patience. His pale, sharpened face, that had changed so much during the past weeks, was changed in expression even more than in contour. His gray eyes, once always full of boyish merriment and laughter, were grave and earnest now. The eyes of a man full of thought, expressive of a hidden yet resolute purpose. These hollow eyes followed Monica about with unconscious persistency and rested upon her with a sense of perfect content. When he grew a little stronger and could just rise from the sofa and trail himself across the room, it was strange to mark how eager he was to render her those little instinctive attentions that came naturally from a man to a woman. Sometimes Monica would accept them with a smile. Oftener she would restrain him with a gentle, commanding gesture, and bid him keep quiet till he was stronger. But she accepted his chivalrous admiration in the spirit in which it was offered, and let him look upon himself as her special knight, as well he might, since to her skill and care Tom plainly told him he owed his life. She let him talk to her of Randolph, though none of the others dared to breathe that name. Sometimes she played to him in the dimness of the music room, and even he hardly knew how privileged he was to be admitted there. She regarded him in the light of a loved brother and felt tenderly towards him, as one who had done and suffered much in the same cause that had cost her gallant husband his life. What he felt towards her would be more difficult to analyze. At present, he simply worshipped her, with a humble, devout singleness of purpose that elevated his whole nature. The vague, fleeting, distant hope that some day it might be given to him to comfort her had hardly yet entered into the region of conscious thought. End of chapter 26